listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So consider for a minute every organization or community that you are a part of. And we're a, lot of, we're a part of a lot of communities in our lives. Some of those may be online communities. Uh, some of those could be in-person communities. But consider just the aspect of community that you have in your life. So for many of us, we're part of a family. That would be a community. And so for some of us, that community looks very different. It may be uh, just you and a spouse. You may uh, have kids, or you may be a kid who's part of a family community. Uh, that community, as it maybe begins to extend, maybe it gets a little bit closer. Maybe you're closer with your siblings, or you're a little more distant with some siblings than others. But you're still part of a community. We're mostly defined by our communities, but community is part of how we live. So maybe you live in a neighborhood that has an HOA. That is a community around a particular mission. Every community that we're a part of has a mission. And so there's a, there's a mission for you and your family. There's a reason that you exist together and some of that may just be, I was talking to Luke Page this morning. He's kept his kid alive for like 11 weeks now. And so for, for some folks, it's like the, the goal is just to, to keep everybody in this community alive. And so if you have a little baby or uh, if, if there's a little baby involved in your family, maybe that's what your goal is. If you have an HOA, the goal is for all the homes to look really nice. There are other communities, and some of those are based on race. Some of those are based on uh, certain LGBTQ plus communities. But we say this is somebody who's part of this community. And what it means is if someone is part of this community, they come in and say, I want to share a common value and mission with everyone else who is involved in this community. For me, I, I, I'm part of a, I haven't been on social media a whole lot recently, but I'm part of a group uh, with people who, who smoke meats on their big green eggs. And that is a community that I love. Now, I've never met the people in that community. I've invited some of y'all. If you have a big green egg, if you have a smoker, I invite you into that community. But we don't get together. Uh, you don't see posts on that site about anything random. There's nothing political on that site. Now, maybe for some of y'all, you're part of a community that's like, yeah, our goal is to be, the, 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 to be part of this political party or this one or this little niche kind of community that we have. And that's fine. But for the big green egg, nobody gets in there and says, hey, here's what I'm voting for. Or did y'all see this, this bill that's coming down? All they're posting are recipes about smoking meat. And it's amazing. It's the best community because everybody's like, yeah, let me give you some tips on that. Or, man, that looks amazing. What time am I going to be there? But the mission of that community is very clear. And so for most of us, we're part of all these different varieties of communities. But all of the communities that we're a part of, there's a common held mission. And so the same is true for the church. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be part of community we, we've just experienced this the past few weeks. My wife loves to watch the Olympics, uh, the Summer Olympics in particular, and so we watch that every four or five years. Uh, and so uh, we were watching the Olympics, and one thing that you notice is, is not so much the, the diversity that's there. As, as we watch the Olympics, th there's no other time in the past five years that we've sat down and said, you know what, L let's go watch some track and field events. 
that sounds awesome. I, I'm really intrigued. I love track and field. No. In the past five years, we've watched uh, a good deal of football, the NBA playoffs, maybe one or two college basketball, zero baseball, but we have not once even considered watching anything related to swimming or to a shot put or long distance or marathons or 100-yard dashes or whatever they're called, 100-meter. I don't know. I mean, I'm not just American, so I don't... I'm just like, we have not considered that for one moment. But when the Olympics come on for two weeks, we watch all of those things. But our interest is not primarily in, oh man, look at how great that backstroke is from this person compared to this. No, no. Why are we watching that? Because for those two weeks, we are proud to be Americans. And we want to beat everybody else in the world. Because for those two weeks, at least, it's like, man, this is our community. And our mission as a community is to win the most gold medals and the most medals. And it's like, yeah, go American. And then as soon as it goes off, it's like, I'm going to tell, tell you what's wrong with this community. And it's like, okay, that's, that's, that's fine. We can talk about those things. And some of those things are true. But for all of us, we have to have a shared common mission. The mission for the church globally, capital C Church, for the church is for the people of God to know more about God. It's for the people to God to be knowing the presence of God. And we saw last week that our greatest need as people is the presence of God. We need the presence of God in our lives. That is the one thing that draws us into community, is our common need for the presence of God. There's no other reason for these people, for us to be gathered here this morning. Nobody said, nobody this whole week has been looking forward to, man, you know what? I can't wait to go hear what songs we're going to do Sunday. Man, I can't wait to go hear what that guy's going to be saying. I can't wait to see what the coffee tastes like. This no, Nobody's gathered and said, man, I, I wonder anything else except for we know that we believe in the presence of God and we need the presence of God and there's something special about the presence of God when the people of God get together and open the word of God. That's why we're here. That's what drives this community. That's our mission. Anything that supersedes that, anything that overshadows that, diminishes the mission of God. And so we know this morning that as we come here together, as a community, we need the presence of God. So we looked at that mostly last week, that our greatest need is the presence of God. Our heartbeat as a church, we at South Point, our heartbeat is to know more of the presence of God. This morning, we're going to pick up on the, on the coattails of that and say, okay, we need the presence of God. But also, here's what I want us to see this morning, is that community is how we live together. Community is how we live together. So we looked at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 20 last week. This morning we're going to be in Colossians 3, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses. So if you would go there with me. We're going to walk quickly through this text. Uh, we're not going to, this is not a, uh, an exegetical breakdown of this passage. Uh, in just a few minutes, I'm going to have uh, Chris come back up to the stage, and we're going to walk through some of the ways that we are engaged together as a community. So it's going to be a little different Sunday for us, but this is what we like to do, at least for these few weeks in August, is be reminded of we are South Point. This is who we are. This is how we function. Last week we talked about here is why we function for the sake of the presence of God. And so this morning it's going to be a little more of the how, some of the functionalities of community. So Paul begins... In chapter 3, 
he says here in these first four verses. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And we just got through singing about this. When when our names are called with the saints, that should bring great joy to who we are. We're looking forward to that day. And we saw last week that our hope is not here on the earth. It's not temporary. There's a future hope of Christ coming back again. And that future hope brings present hope for us even today. So we see in these first four verses, Paul says to put to death the world. He says in verse number one, he says, set your eyes, seek the things that are above. Set your eyes to something else that's greater than the world. In other words, behold the Trinity. Behold the community that we call the Trinity. We were talking with our boys last night as we were walking through uh, this, this theology book for kids. And we were talking about how God is a Trinity. He's in perfect community. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need, he's, it's perfect community. If anything, we mess up perfect community. And if you think you found the perfect community somewhere, just by you being part of it, you've messed it up. We, we all mess up any community that we're a part of. And so especially if you take the sinless triune God, who the Father is in perfect community constantly with the Son, and the Father is in perfect community with the Spirit, and the, and the, the Son is in constant community with the Father, and with the Spirit, and the Spirit is in constant community with the Father and with the Son, they, they don't need anything else. There's nothing that we are adding. There's no value added for us. Yet God in his graciousness has created us in his image with the need of community. And so even when you see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, God has made Adam, and he looks around at Adam's like, man, I, none, of these, none of these animals are really cutting it for me. And God says, yeah, it's not good for you to be alone. So what does God do? He creates for him a helpmeet. So we see even from the beginning, the design of God is not for us to be alone. It's not for us to be independent. It's for us to be a part of community. And when, so when Paul says right here, if then you have been raised with Christ, know, know this, that word you in the English, we don't, it's hard to tell because it can either be singular or plural, right? I can be talking to you as an individual or you all as a group. But in the Greek right here, that word you is plural. So he's saying you have been raised with Christ. He's talking to this group of people. He's talking to a body of believers. He's not saying, okay, here's what you need to do as an individual. He's saying, no, this is a community project from day one, from when Adam and Eve were created. It has been a community project for the earth to be filled with worshipers of God. That's the only way that we are able to procreate is by being part of a community. So God says, this is for you. This is for all of y'all. We can look back at the past year and a half, and we see that community is broken down. We know that because of, of lockdowns and uh, just because of COVID and uh, just all the, the variety of things surrounding that, I'm not, and I'm not making a judgment call on the positive or, or negative, but as a result of that, what we've seen is we've seen suicide rates increase greatly because of loneliness. There have been recent, I was reading a study this past week, uh, the, the loneliness that people are experiencing is out the roof. It's a multiple of what it was two years ago. We see the divorce rate going up because now you're stuck in community with your spouse and you're just like, man, I, don't, I actually don't want to be in this relationship. And so we've seen those numbers skyrocket. 
We see these things as a result of being more isolated from community. That's not the way that we were created. Culture breaks down when we are isolated. We can, so we can look at the past year and a half, but consider the past maybe decade. We could almost say decade and a half, but if you consider the past several years, consider social media. So we think, so that's the, that we would say that's the opposite of isolation, because there's constantly an opportunity for you to scroll through thousands of other people's existence uh, on your phone. But what social media has done, it hasn't made us feel like we're more part of community. What studies show is that, that social media has created a fake community. It has created a culture of competition. It's created a culture of, man, I'm not as good as that person. It's created a culture of isolation. And we begin to live not in real community, but in this fake community because we see these images on a screen and we think we're part of those people's lives. And we think that if we post to that same page, that those people are a part of our lives. And so we've, we've come to really misunderstand what community really is. So, so there's, there's kind of what we think are two extremes there, a constant community and a lack of community. But really, we can categorize those as neither one of those are part of real community. And what Paul says right here, he says, set your eyes on Christ. Set your eyes on the things that are above. Set your eyes on God, who is in himself this image of real community. The discipleship. So as we move through here, he says, okay, for y'all, the goal is to make disciples Discipleship is impossible without community, but community is possible without discipleship. So as we walk through this, know that the goal is not simply, the church's goal is not simply to create community. The church's goal is to multiply worshipers to the ends of the earth. One of the ways that we do that is community. So let's not swap the importance or the strength of those two things. Then he picks up in verse number five. So in verses one through four, he says, put to death the world. Here in these next few verses, he says, put off the old self. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. He, he says here, again, almost every single one of these things is it, difficult, if, if not impossible, to partake in these things by yourself. Now, some of these things we do in isolation but they always involve other people, whether it's someone that's on a screen, whether there's animosity that's being held in your heart towards someone, your, your words that maybe you want to say, they're still affecting your view of that person. It's still affecting your relationship with God. And if you notice here, sometimes we say, oh, there are big sins, small sins, internal sins, external sins. Here he says, these go contrary to the nature that you have in Jesus Christ. So here he says, this encompasses all sin. Now, now notice, this doesn't come from, he doesn't say, hey, do these things, therefore you can earn God's favor and grace. No, no, we're not trying to earn God's favor and grace. But let's also not confuse earning with effort. Because here he says, yeah, you have the grace of God, but we're also to put to death these things. People ask me occasionally, I, I, one of these things that particularly 
uh, in verse number eight, he says, an obscene talk from your mouth. And all of those other ones would be the ways that we communicate with people, usually through the use of language. But people ask me sometimes, they say, what do you think the biggest sin is at South Point? What is the most pervasive sin? And I often say gossip. That's what I've said for a couple of years. I say gossip. Because as we're, as we're talking to someone about someone else behind their back, and we can, we can mask that and clothe that in a variety of ways. Oh, I would say this to that person's face. Oh, let's be in prayer for this person. Or whatever, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but don't let this, don't let this go anywhere. Don't let this, I say this as a, as a friend. I'm saying this because I like this person, because I love this person. Man, these are just the facts. Just to be honest, just a side note, we like to mask it all in all these ways. What we're doing is we're saying the presence of God is not our goal, but me being better than someone else is the goal by me saying, hey, let me tell you a little something. Let me give you some, let me give you maybe a negative bent on this person over here. And so I would implore you, church, that as we read through here, Paul is speaking directly to us. Is our speech flavored with love? Is it sprinkled with compassion? Is our goal the glory of God and the presence of God here among us as a body? Or is it something else? Because here he says to put off the old self. Now notice our unity here, which is, which is the goal. Uh, we'll keep going. Let's look at verse number 12. He says this, or look at verse number 10. So let me finish that passage. He says, and have put on the new self. So we've put off the old self. Then he says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So he says, put off the old self and put on the new self. And and he says, look look to God. He's the one whose image we are displaying here. And last week we talked about the preeminence of Christ above all things, in all things, through all things, for all things. He says, your unity is not based on the way that you look. Your unity is not based on your socioeconomic status, how much money you make, who you voted for, your your favorite sports team, your favorite meat to cook. Like, your unity is not based on these things. Your unity is based on God. It's based on the presence of God. He says, so put off the old self. Put on the new self. He continues in verse verse number 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. Now notice the contrast here. Holy and beloved, he says to put on this. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know what I think he's saying with, with these verses right here? And we could, we could break those down. How do we do those? But here's what I think he's saying. In contrast to a culture that says, you are the transcendent one. You can be who you want to be. You can create your own identity. Here's what he's saying. You do not have to be the point of your existence. You don't even have to be the point of your existence. 
And that is so freeing. He says, you are free to love. You're free to have compassionate hearts. You're free to be merciful. You're not a slave to self anymore because Jesus Christ has stepped in and he's freed you from that bondage. He is the one who has approved of you. He is the one who has validated you. You don't have to look for validation anywhere else. And he says here, this is for us as a body. So if we had to compare those lists, which one of those lists would identify us if we say we are South Point? Are we compassionate? Are we loving? Are we kind? Are we merciful? Because Jesus' mission has not changed. His mission has not changed. And there's something special about his presence. Is the presence of God all over? Does it cover the Absolutely. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But what he says, he says there's something special about when the people of God gather in community. His presence is more palpable. I sat at my piano last night as my boys were getting ready to bed, and I played through some of these songs that we did this morning just for kicks. And I was sitting downstairs just playing through them. Eventually, my wife texted me and said, hey, it's time to put these boys in bed. I said, okay. We, I did the exact same songs in mostly the same exact keys, but can I tell you that there's something different about the people of God gathered, lifting their voices together, than there is about me sitting at my piano in my home, lifting my voice to God. I wasn't doing it so anybody else could hear me. Y'all couldn't hear me. Unfortunately, they're the only ones who could hear me. But there's something different about the presence of God coming and being with his people because he didn't save me as an individual. He saved me into this kingdom of light. He saved me into a family. He adopted me in. So there's something special about his presence when the people of God are acting like his people. That's why Jesus came down in John chapter 1 and verse number 14. It said that Jesus came down and dwelled with us. He was incarnated. That means he came in the flesh. He literally put on flesh. That's why virtual church doesn't work. That's why virtual meetings barely work. And we've seen that tangibly. Virtual doesn't work. It's like, yeah, but here are my extenuating circumstances. Sure, and we can use those things for a season. We've used those things for a season. But true community happens when you're locking eyeballs with somebody, when you are there tangibly, physically with them. Because as you look through here, oftentimes, I love listening to podcasts. I love them with all my heart. I listen to them all the time. It doesn't matter what kind they are, sports, uh, news. Uh, I listen to all sorts of political bents. Uh, I listen to crime podcasts. I love them. I love information intake. But discipleship is not about transferring information. Discipleship is about transforming the whole self. And so discipleship is not just, hey, let me give you this information. Let me, let's just sing the words on the screen, okay? Try not to mess up. Try not to come in too early. Try not to hold up no doubt too long. Okay, here's the information from Colossians 3. Take this. No, discipleship happens as we, as, as a body, are being transformed together. And if you are part of this body, it, your presence is necessary for the sake of those around you. I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago. He said, man, uh, I, I asked him, I said, hey, man, where were you at this morning? This was a couple Sundays ago. I said, where were you at this morning? And he said, man, uh, we just couldn't make it there. And I thought, okay, some sort of fixed reality, 
Okay, so there, there's a fixed reality and there's a, there's a lack of value. So I thought, okay, maybe uh, somebody was sick or he had a flat tire or he was out of town or something. I said, okay, what, what was going on? He said, well, we were, we were at somebody's pool swimming this morning. I was like, oh, cool. How did that go? Oh, man, it was, it was cool. I, wish we, I really wish we could have been there. I'm like, do you? <laughs> do you now? Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like that. And what I communicated to this brother was like, man, your presence is not just, we're not, we're not trying to tally up, okay, how many do we have? All right, we're trying to get triple digits, okay? If you and your family's not here, ah, man, I don't know if we can get to 100 people or 200 people or 1,000 people or whatever it is. No, we need folks here for the sake of the body. And so when someone is missing, it's like, oh, man, that, that hurts. That hurts the body, we need your love and your mercy and compassion here physically, tangibly with us because discipleship is not just about me giving you information. It's about us being transformed wholly as a body. So then Paul finishes the section. It, can I say this real quick? I was talking to a guy yesterday. And he, said, he said, man, he said, you know, I think it's interesting. He said, uh, some, he said I think our, our core partnership as a church is really solid. And he said, I've been here for about four years. And uh, he said, I, I really appreciate the fact that y'all do this series every year. I was like, cool, thanks, man. He says, my third or fourth time hearing it. He said, uh, he said I think it's, it's kind of strange. He said, why do some people really love Bible teaching, but then, they, but then they eventually just kind of, they're in the church for a little bit, but then they filter out and they go somewhere else. He said, why is that? I said, why do you think that is? <laughs> I never answered somebody's question first. And, and so I, I said, why do you think that is? And uh, he said, I think it's because they're not really part of community. I said, well, that'll preach. And I think that's true. As we look around at those who are just kind of barely connected, hey, I really love your church. Let me be here for a few minutes. And, and then we're going to, the people who are not connected in true community, who are here simply for information and not for transformation, the, short, the, the shelf life is really short. And I don't say that to demean anybody. I say that because true community is necessary. And I don't care if it's South Point. I don't care if it's First Baptist McDonough. If it's the Methodist church that we just prayed for. I don't care where it is. I'm not, I'm not trying to grow a church here. We as pastors, we never sit around and say, man, how do we get more, more bodies in the seats? How do we get more bucks in the bank account? How do we build bigger, bigger stronger, better buildings? We don't sit around and say that. We say, how does the glory of God go forward in McDonough and Henry County? That's our goal. And so if you don't want to be connected with South Point, okay, but be connected somewhere. And it's usually a pattern that we see if someone not being connected. And I would compel you through the power of the Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit to be connected with a local church body. That's my hope and prayer because that's the design of God for his people is to be connected in true, lasting, formative community. I might get in trouble for that. Verse 15, Paul says, he finishes this section. So we've seen we put to death the world, we put off the old self, we put on the new self. He says in verse 15, let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we've put to death the old self. We've, we've put off the old man. He says, put on the new man, but also we've, we've set aside this mindset of darkness. And here he says, put on the kingdom mindset. So he bookends this passage. In Latin, we, we call that an inclusio. He, he begins with set your eyes on the things that are above. And here he says, the way that we set our eyes on the things that are above is by being a part of community. We sing together. Here are, the, here are the kinds of songs that we sing. We let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You were called as one body. I, I found several passages. These will be up on the screen. But, but here are some passages that talk about one body. Here's how the body operates. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says, If I delay, this is Paul writing to Timothy, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, the body of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, we need each other in order to live, in order to behave. We need each other. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, Now concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to what? To love one another. Peter says this also, 2 Peter. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. So we don't, it's not about information. He doesn't say, hey, just know more about God, know more about God, know more about God. No, the knowledge of God, the presence of God is going to lead to brotherly affection. And he finishes the same way that Paul does here and brotherly affection with love. 1 Corinthians 12 says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul begins Philippians chapter 2. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Who does this remind us of? Of Jesus. Here's what he did. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he goes on right there. Paul continues in, in Philippians chapter 2 saying, here's the way that Christ humbled himself to the point of death. The goal is not for us to thrive. The goal is for us to die to ourselves. Romans chapter 12, Paul says this. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with, we see it again, brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So last week we talked about how we, when we gather on Sundays, our goal is the presence of God. And can I let you know something? This is, this is not original to us as a church, but we'll see in Hebrews chapter 10 in just a second. But, but the quickest way to subvert discipleship is to not be gathering with the people of God. 
The quickest, the quickest and easiest way to remove yourself from the presence of God is to avoid meeting with the people of God. The author of Hebrews says this in chapter 10. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Only the whole family can create a whole disciple. That's the point. Only the whole family can create a whole disciple. Conversion, friends. Conversion is the starting line, not the finish line. I told my wife a couple days ago, I said, I cannot wait for football to start. And she said, amen. (laughs) Very sarcastically. (laughs) Conversion is the kickoff. It's not the touchdown celebration. Our goal is not to make converts, it's to make disciples. It takes all of us. My neighbor asked me a couple weeks ago, she said, uh, she was disenfranchised with her local church. Still is. She said, why do I have to go to church? I thought, wow, let me tell you the reasons. Let me tell you where to go. Uh, She said, why do I have to go to church? And I said, if your identity is in Christ, we are called and commanded to meet together with the people of God. I said, so go somewhere where they are teaching the word of God. Go somewhere where you can serve and be served and go somewhere where your spiritual gifts can be utilized for the furtherance of the kingdom. I said, that's it. She said, well, what do you think about Methodist versus... I was like, we, we can talk about that. And we did. We talked about all those different things. I said, but that's the core. That is our identity that we've been given by Christ. So practically speaking, I want to answer this question. How do we live together in community? Chris is going to come up here with me for just a few minutes. And we're going to talk about how do we live together in community. And some folks are like, ah, I've never seen people team preach before, team teach. That's fine. Um, it's always kind of clunky and weird, but we'll figure it out. So uh, I want to ask Chris some, uh, to speak to some of these things as he, is, as he leads a variety of ministries for us. Uh, but the first thing, and we talked about this back in, uh, back in April and May, we, we looked at uh, our, our spiritual gifts series. It was called Gifted. Uh, and one of the first ways that we live together in community is by being part of a serve team. Like being part of a serve team. Monty sends this out every week to those who are part of a serve team, and it's, uh, it's 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. It says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, so he doesn't say above all, make sure your doctrine is perfect. He doesn't say above all, make sure you like the songs. He doesn't say above all, make sure uh, the, the lighting is just right. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him alone belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
And that's a constant reminder. And Monty does a great job of scheduling those teams and reminding us of that every single week. But, but one of the ways that we uh, partner together is that we serve each other. We serve those who are brand new walking in the door. We serve each other in tangible ways with coffee, with a smile, with encouragement, with love. Uh, for some of us, it's like, ah, yeah, I just, I just want to show up and, and sit in my seat. And most of us aren't there. And for those who are part of a serve team, man, thank you. Uh, some of us still struggle with um, resting Baptist face. And, but this should be a, a joyful time for us to gather and to be an encouragement of what God has done in our midst. A few of the other ways that we live together in community, uh, one of the ways is kids' ministry. So yeah, Chris. for sure. I think, I think oftentimes we see kids' ministry as this ministry at the church that uh, people wear green shirts and then they just go off into oblivion, you know? And it is, it is so much more than that. There are individuals, many of you um, are in and a part of kids' ministry. Yes, we do ask that you wear a South Point kids' shirt that is green green. It's, it's helpful. It's noticeable. Um, but it is, there's, there's so much more. Uh, we are each week attempting to walk systematically through the pages of scripture with your children. Now that is from infant to third grade every single week. The last Sunday of every month, if you've been here for some length of time, you'll notice that we have family worship Sunday. So our kindergarten through third grade ministries, uh, we do not have those on the last Sunday of every month. We've invited everyone to be a part, worship together as families. Uh, we want to we wanna see that families are, are training their children together to be a part of, of the gathering um, that, that we're a part of. And so that's why we do that the last Sunday of every month. Also, for our fourth and fifth graders on the first Sunday of every month, they have a class um, that they can be a part of and have, uh, have an opportunity to hear an age-appropriate lesson, again, in that same rhythm, walking systematically through the scriptures. Uh, for those of you who have children in our children's environments, uh, you should get a, a handout every time uh, your kid is in one of those environments when they walk out. Th those handouts have questions that you can walk through. They have the Bible story that that child was taught. Now, if they don't make it out, it was probably because at the last moment they made a paper airplane and they threw it across the room, something like that. So go back in there, look for those airplanes on the ground. Your child has a handout and, uh, and it is for you to use. It's not just something, hey, I know, I know how we do. We see something that your kid colored and, uh, and don't, don't tell them, but sometimes they go straight to the trash. Uh, don't, don't throw that thing away, okay? Use that as an opportunity for discipleship because we want the whole family discipled. And we know that parents, it is a part of your responsibility to see that your children are discipled. So kids ministry, what's the point? It is our desire to partner with families in training, leading, and equipping your children with gospel truth to sustain lifelong discipleship and worship. That's the point of South Point Kids. If you want to be a part of that, you can, you can send your kids and be a part of that. You could also volunteer, and you can do that with any of these serve teams, southpoint.org slash serve, and you can sign up that way. Um, also, DNA groups moving away from serve teams just into normal functions of, of our church family. Uh, we are encouraging that, especially in this series, We Are South Point. What is a natural rhythm in this family is that we would be a part of of uh, three to four uh, individual same-sex groups that we would get together for DNA, discovering God's word together, nurturing hearts to see that we're asking the hard questions from one another. How, how, are, how is your heart? 
And, and then finally, uh, we are acting the A, D, and A. And we're acting according to God's word as we're reading it together, as we're holding one another accountable in those things. This is where we are confronting one another in sin. A lot of people come to our church and they say, hey, do you do, you do church discipline? Like, like that's something that you just ask, I guess. Hey, do you do church discipline? Like, like they're wanting it or something, you know? And we say, well, we say, well, we say that we do church discipline. We practice it regularly. And one of those places is in DNA because that is going to be that frontline place where we're just, we're, we're holding one another accountable to what God's word says. And we're asking the tough questions from one another. So you should have two cards in your seat. One of those cards says, would you like to be a part of a DNA group? Fill that out. On the back of it is just an availability. If you'll circle some availability times for us. And then at the close of the service today, if you'll just take it out to the next step table, uh, Travis will be out there accepting your cards this morning. So take that DNA card. And also, if you're already plugged into a DNA group, we still want to know that. So I, I would love to see everyone filling out one of those DNA cards today um, just so we as your pastors have a record so that we can be um, shepherding uh, in, in particular ways and so that we can, we can know that. Um, next, as a part of DNA, uh, women's ministry. How, how does that connect to DNA? Really because this is a, a sect of our church. All the women uh, could, be, could be named under that heading of women's ministry. And, and our vision there is that we are adorning women for their unique role in God's kingdom. And we're going to do that through several large-scale events throughout the year. In fact, the next one is going to be on November 13th, Saturday, November 13th. So if you're planning to do that, go ahead and put that on your calendar. So we do several large-scale women events throughout the year, but also our hope is that we're connecting ladies that are not in a DNA group to a DNA group so that older women are fulfilling that Titus II mandate, and they're teaching younger women, and we're seeing that as a regular rhythm in the life of our church family. Uh, next, as far as student ministry is concerned, for our middle school and high schoolers, uh, we desire to partner with parents in equipping and encouraging students to grow in their love for Jesus. Uh, we just had our fall kickoff this past week in Collide. Uh, we were back in McDonough for the first time since March 2020, so that was exciting that we've kicked off McDonough Collide again. And our students this semester are going through some of Jesus' parables, and they've been challenged this semester to read the upcoming parable and to do a little Bible study work on their own so that when they come to Collide, they're prepared. They've, they've, they've um, already like worked on that passage. They know what is going to be taught, and we want to, to just empower them with the tools to be able to study God's Word on their own so that they could know God individually and love Him uh, by faith. And so there are magnets for our student uh, schedule on the next step table on your way out as well. So if you're a parent, middle school or high schooler, and you didn't have one of those magnets or you hadn't gotten one of those yet, go ahead and grab one of those on your way out today. So, yeah, a few of the ways that we uh, live together as a community and just in passing, if you want any more information about any of these, come talk to Chris. Uh, and he can answer any of those questions that, that you may have. Uh, but one of the ways that we live together as a community is on Wednesday mornings, uh, we gather right here in McDonough and we pray. We cry out to God at 6.30 on Wednesday mornings. And I know that's early, 
uh, and some of you are like, I got to be at work at a certain time, and that's awesome. But I, but I would encourage you, there is something special about the presence of God when the people of God are gathered. And so we cry out and we petition uh, different needs in our church body, and those are constant, and those are rotating. And so if you can't be with us, if there's a fixed reality in your life where you can't, know that we are praying for you. Let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, but if you can, come join us on Wednesday mornings at 6.30 uh, to pray. Uh, one of the other things that are some of the other ways that we are involved in uh, in community is that we we develop leaders, and our goal is to to have more pastors and deacons, to have more preachers of God's word. Uh, and so we have preaching lab that happens about once a month, and we're starting that back up this month. And so this Saturday at our Locust Grove location, we're going to have preaching lab at, at nine thirty that morning, and it gives us a chance to 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 practice preaching, and for those who maybe have never preached before, to have an opportunity for us to provide feedback for them. Uh, we have guys who are in the deacon process who are here uh, meeting and serving both the physical and the spiritual needs of the body, and we're going to be installing some of those guys, Lord willing, in a few weeks. Uh, and we have guys, we are a plurality of pastors, and so we share and we bear the burden of your souls. And so know that we do that as a community. There's not some, uh, there, there's not more uh, authority for some of us that are on staff versus not on staff. No, we share responsibility. We go around the table and we uh, are equal in those votes. Some of us have more responsibility because of time, but that's it. And so we lead as a body uh, of community. And then lastly, we as a community, we read some of these passages, but we give faithfully. And I would, I would uh, tell you, some of, these, some of y'all who, uh, who are faithful, or most of y'all who are faithfully giving, thank you for where your money is going. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell you where that money is going in just a second. I'm also going to tell you about some of the needs that we have coming up. Uh, but I would encourage you, if you are not giving, you can give in person, uh, in the atrium, at the box, online at southpoint.org. You can begin by texting any amount to 84321. And I would encourage you to not just say, okay, yeah, I'm giving some money, but to be faithful in that. And we don't set this as a mandate, and we don't say, hey, we're going to you know, send us your W-2s at the end of the year so we can check those off. Uh, but I would encourage you, uh, are you giving sacrificially? Because that's what the, the scripture commands, and uh, we see this throughout uh, the scriptures that that usually begins with a 10% tithe. Now it's like, okay, well, where do y'all stand on that? I'll tell you where I stand. I stand with a generous giver. And usually that begins at 10%, and it goes up from there. And so I would encourage you this morning to at least consider how has God blessed you financially? And how are you giving? Are you giving sacrificially and generously here to the body? Uh, I evaluate, we evaluate how much we give to the, to the church regularly, and I go over that with my kids. So my kids know, uh, hey, we, we do it online. And so they don't see us writing a physical check, but they know that we give to the church each and every week, and they know how much we give. And to them, it, you know, that They could buy all kinds of cool Xbox games, but um, they know that this is an act of service and worship to God. And so I would just say, consider those things. Here are some needs that we have as a body that are coming up. I wrote some of these things down. Um, We need to hire more staff members. Uh, we need to, and we mentioned this in the partners meeting a few weeks ago, but we have, and some of this is COVID, like coming out of COVID, this isolation, we have just a, a, an overwhelming burden of those who need counseling. 
uh, who need professional counseling, who need biblical counseling. And so we're looking at how do we provide for that as a church because it's difficult for me to say, hey, man, go to this guy who's got a full-time job and a family and who's leading a life group and who's part of a DNA group. and He's one of our pastors here. and he, we, we need resources so that we can hire somebody or some bodies between two congregations with hundreds of people to help in counseling. Uh, we were on a, a call this past week with a missionary in Romania, and he said, man, we have, we have a need of $15,000. We were just gifted this, uh, this several acres of land there in Romania, and we need to be able to upkeep it, and we need resources, and, and that guy's there planting churches. I would love to be able to say, you know what, $15,000, and you're like, oh man, that's crazy. I would love to be able to say, we've been looking for somewhere to put this money. This is going to you. We're, send me the link, and we'd love, to, we'd love to fill that out. I think we as a church have the potential of doing that. We do. We have that potential as, as a generous people who've been blessed by God financially. Uh, we have other uh, projects around here. Chris mentioned student ministry. But if you go back to the student ministry area, it needs help. We need resources. We're using another church's uh, resources to even uh, to project sound. The projector that we have for lyrics uh, currently is not the best. And so uh, we have constant needs for student ministry. We have needs in Locust Grove at our Locust Grove facility. Uh, we have needs for those who are... Who are need- I, had a, I, I got a phone call last night from a guy. And uh, he, he's been on the fringes of community for a while. And he told me last night that his liver is completely shut down. He needs a liver transplant, but he has to be sober for six months first. And this is a guy that I've known for almost a decade. And he's a little bit younger than me. And he said, my, my liver is completely shut down. And my first thought is, man, you, you should have been in better community. It, but my second thought is, okay, how does the church rally around this guy? And how do we say, you know what, uh, it's going to cost probably upwards of $10,000 to get this guy sober so he can even be considered for a liver transplant because of a disease that he brought on himself but because he drank too much. Ruined his family, he drank way too much, and now he's the one who shot his liver. And it's like, oh man, he should have made better decisions. And I'm just, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't say the same thing to us. So how can we, as who have been affected so greatly by the grace of God, extend that grace to this brother? And so we have these needs, and some, you're like, okay, well, let me, let me find one of those. I'm, I'm saying these are regular. These happened in the past week. <laughs> these, these are all from, from one week. And maybe this was an abnormal week, but these needs are constantly there. I think about thousands of people who live right down the road. How can we be engaging with those people? How can we use this facility more than a couple hours a week to be a place where, where, where folks can come and learn and the kids who are struggling in school come in and learn better English for, for teachers in this room, how can we be helping teach them so that they're not set up for failure for the rest of their lives and we just say, oh, well, it's, it's because of their culture. Now, how can we be engaging that culture and bringing Christ to bear in those, in those lives? And so I, I just say that and say, man, the, the need is great. The opportunity is great. And as we saw a few weeks ago in, in Galatians 6, as we have opportunity, we are to serve those in need. And the opportunity is here, family. And so are we giving, are we being faithful uh, with our resources, with our time? I'll let Chris go with this. But, but Chris, what could happen if we as a church were committed to real community for just one year? Yeah. Uh, here's what we know as a gospel people who are, who are submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ and his word. We know that Jesus explicitly says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
He follows that up immediately by saying, so therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And so here's what we're saying. Man, would we as a people over this next year, would we gather together as a people in prayer? Man, come to and pray with us at, at 6.30 on Wednesday mornings. And if you can't be a part of that, whatever it is that you can be a part of in your DNA groups, in your life group, that we would be a people that we're serious and take Jesus seriously when he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. If the harvest is plentiful and he tells us that we should be praying, then we should absolutely be praying. And in community, we obey Jesus' commands to pray, but we also also go. And so that that is our desire, that we would go with his Holy Spirit. We go into this very city, that's McDonough, into this world making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when I think about McDonough as a city, we can't help but to think that upwards of 100,000 people live here and 90,000 of them are not connected to any local church. We may say, man, they are not unreached, unengaged people groups like there are on the other side of the world, but there are a people that are unengaged with the gospel right now that live next door to you. And if we would, as a people over this next year, commit to praying and going, I I think that we would see a move of God. Not just that we would see converts, like Michael has already said, but that we would see disciples being made when the body of Christ rallies together to see that that would happen by the Spirit. Amen. Let's give Chris a hand. He got stuck with me on stage, so he deserves that. Uh, my question as, as, we, as we finish and as we consider all these things, what, what would it... What if you were as invested in someone else's growth as you are in your own? Because the reason we're here this morning, if I said, why did you show up this morning? Man, so I can, so I can grow and so I can know more about Jesus. What, were you, what if you were as invested in someone else's growth as you are in your own? And that's what we're asking you to do. We should be invested in each other's growth as a body because community is how we live together. It's not something that we do. It's who we are. We've been invited into the community of the Trinity. Jesus was so invested in his glory and in our growth that he identified with us. He he came and he lived the life that we were designed to live. He died the death that we deserve to die. But he wasn't in the ground for any more than three days, because on day number three, the spirit rose him back to life. He raised him, and and then Jesus walked out and said, okay, now here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go and be my people to the ends of the earth and take my presence, my, my risen presence to those who are in most need. Then Jesus ascended, and he is sitting at the right hand of the Father today, constantly making intercession for us so that we can continue to be in the presence of God.